Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Realston and we're recording on a sunny Friday afternoon in Manchester and we're a bit of a special episode today because the international break is usually quite dull. So we're going to digest some takeover chat from this week. We've got an exclusive interview with Manchester United fan and light heavyweight boxer Lyndon Arthur and we're also going to have a bit of a Q&A session towards the end of the podcast so that should be a bit of light-hearted fun and my opportunity to grill Tyrone Marshall and Rich Fair who obviously alongside me. Tyrone how are you? Uh, I'm good thank you Stephen I'm good counting down the days until this uh, this international break ends. It's a, it's a long slog, isn't it, this week? It's went very, very slow. The football will be needed when it comes back. Rich, how are you? Yeah, very good. Looking forward to a weekend watching Wrexham with the uh, Fosters, both in my hand and in goal. So, uh, yeah, bring it on. What a singing, Rich. Are eh? you delighted with that? Yeah, I mean, it's good. I, I love any story where I can get away with writing about Wrexham for the Manchester <laughs> and you. So there will be a piece Saturday morning <laughs> looking back at his last spell at Wrexham that led to Sir Alex Ferguson signing him for United as well. A bit of background on that for any United fans who are interested, all five of you out there. I thought um, Rich's own podcast doesn't... Go on, Ty. I was just going to say Rich's sorry, podcast doesn't get enough mention on this. Uh, doesn't. This no, no, no it's moonlighting. If you are of the Rex and Persuasion, head across there and no doubt you'll have a few exclusive lines, won't you, Rich? So, excellent. Yeah, you, put, you, you put a lot of pressure on me there, but yeah. Of course, <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of the Shrewsbury fan... Red podcast is always the priority. <laughs> Speaking as a Shrewsbury fan, yeah, we don't hear enough about Wrexham these days, do we? Flipping heck. Non-league team, lads. Get over <laughs> the it. The underdog story. Get over it. The underdog story. Anyway, I thought you'd be Wrexham Lager loyal, Rich. Yeah, I mean... Anything for I a good pun. anything if we're winning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've just had 10 minutes of Wrexham chat, so I'm, I'm going to insist we move on <laughs> yeah, uh, before we go on air. So we are moving on. <laughs> we're going to discuss the, the takeover tie. Um, obviously, a big week on social media. Support as That's all they really want to talk about at the moment. It's the big story. Um, do you think we're any further forward, really, with this takeover process? There was obviously a soft deadline in midweek um, with Sheikh Zassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe obviously both missed that deadline in the end it transpired so what's the latest on the process really because it's uh it's becoming a bit of a farce it seems doesn't it yeah i think uh, you know i was speaking to people um when was the deadline tuesday night um no wednesday night oh, i can't remember now um i think it's wednesday it's been a long week. It? yeah so speaking to people yesterday who variously described it as a a circus and a soap opera uh one suggested they should put it on telly like coronation street it was it was that ridiculous at times um you know, I think it is getting further along. There's going to be second bids from from Sheikh Jazim and, and from Sir Jim Ratcliffe. But the you know the issue is we still don't really know what what the end goal is. And I, you know, I've written a piece this afternoon where the intro is basically that you know there there isn't really a void where speculation falls here because it's being played out so publicly that we do kind of know what's going on. But there is still a lot of speculation to it. And you, you speak to people kind of in the industry and on the fringes of the takeover and. Everyone is speculating about what's going to happen because we just don't know it. It's four months after the Glazers released that statement confirming the club was was on the market, basically. We still don't really know if they're going to sell or not. And people people who are, are more kind of attuned to, to the machinations of this than, than we are have conflicting views on it as well. I spoke to people yesterday who were adamant it's going to end in a full sale. Others who still see this as potentially them, them laying the groundwork for staying... The issue is that they set this six billion price. They're not going to get it, I don't think. I was told that that neither of the the bidders for a full takeover, Ratcliffe or, or Sheikh Jazim, left meetings last week thinking it was a, a six billion pound business. I think they were both a little bit 
underwhelmed at the the cost for the club when you consider Old Trafford and Carrington needs need renovations as well. Um, so you know, do they do they lose face by accepting a lesser offer? Do they take minority investment and try and stay? Is this all? You know, it's been suggested as well to me that this is all. This is all a ploy and, and stringing out the deadline and making it look like this is huge race for United is is all a ploy to basically get better lending rates to to lend more money and, and to stay. I mean, you'd think having reached this point, they cannot possibly turn around and stay. But, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't put anything past them. As, as someone said to me yesterday, it'd be one way to get a new stadium if they did decide to stay because the fans would just burn it to the ground. Um <laughs> and you know you can you can imagine that there would there would be riots if they did that. This this I think it's an an open secret now, and, and we've written it, and other places have written it that there are divisions in the family. Joel and Avram I think would quite like to stay. The others I'm told would have sold at three billion and, and just want to get the hell out of there. Basically, not that they ever are here. The other four, but they're they're very happy to to cash in their chips and and take the money. But you know we we don't really know what's what's going to happen next. I mean, once these new bids arrive. I presume we will get to a preferred bidder status with one of them, but you know, even then, there's no guarantee it, it goes through. Although you would ex- you expect it at that point, but you know, we still don't really know. And I think does it, you know, I think you know, it's suggested to me that I think, and I think it's probably true that Rain are probably a little bit under pressure here. That someone, someone close to the Glazers, um, said in November that this will end with Ratcliffe or Qatar going head to head. And I think the Glazers would have known that. The, the whole reason for appointing Rain was to drum up more interest like they did in Chelsea when they got 20-odd bids and so much interest. You know, the, the reason for appointing a bank like Rain is, is to flush out the interest. You might not know about it. You might not know about it. If the Glazers had said in November, we're going to sell, you know, we, we don't need an, an estate agent, basically. We'll do it privately. They'd have approached Ratcliffe because he approached them in the summer and they'd have approached Qatar because Qatar had been interested in United for the, for the best part of a decade. Beyond that, there's no one really new, you know, beyond sort of hedge funds and American investments. So, you know, Rain haven't haven't really come up trumps with, with, with flushing out any major interest. And at the moment, they haven't got the price to six billion. So I think there's still a bit of posturing going on, which is be, why it's been played out so publicly to to play on the ego of, of Sheikh Jazim or Ratcliffe and, and force them to up the price or to still try and flush out another another bidder for full control. But I'm not sure they're going to they're going to get there. We had the Finnish guys, Ziliakis, is it? Um, you know, confirming his interest. I was going to say, yesterday. I couldn't remember his name, so yeah, I'm impressed that you've something that like that. Thomas, really I'm not sure how you say it. Thomas Ziliakis, yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I think the view with that one is it's a, a pie in the sky, maybe a bit of a publicity stunt. He's doing yeah. his sums on United's market value, which is 3.1 billion. You know, the Glazers would laugh that out of town. It's not going to happen. And <laughs> even at that price, his idea, I think, was to get each fan to pay $3.00. You know, I did the sums, and that's 650 million United fans paying three dollars. I mean, it just just ain't going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think that one is is ambitious and can be ruled out. So I think it's still between Ratcliffe and, and Sheikh Jazim, but it is a a slow progress. And the, the the biggest issue is that we still don't really know how it's going to end or or what the Glazers' intentions are. I mean, with the exception of uh, probably Chelsea in recent times, but that was because of the Russia situation. I'd say as a general rule, takeovers, you don't really hear about them that much. It's certainly not this public when you look at Manchester mm-hmm. City and Newcastle over the last 15 years. If you had to place a bet, Rich, and someone give you £10, it was your last £10 in the world, and they said, <laughs> is it going to happen or is it not? 
do you think the, the Glazers will relinquish a majority share? Where would you place your money? And I guess it is so important that they leave, isn't it? Because it, it feels like this is such an opportunity that, that can't be wasted. This is this hasn't happened since they took over the club and became majority shareholders in, in 2005. No, I think as, as Ty mentioned earlier, you know, I think they just have to sell for their own principle and their own sanity now and their, their own safety, really, because the fact that they've gone this far with it already and entertained the, the prospect of selling the club, you've just got to follow through now. United fans want change and there's a lot of supporters who are still divided on who they want the next potential owners to be, but they're all unified in the fact that they do want new owners and they want just a fresh start, really. And I think for the, for the whole sake and benefit of the club, that has to happen now. It needs to be seen as a fresh start, a fresh new era, because for as long as the Glazers are here, United will continue to be straddled with debt. So they'll continue not to put in their own money and the, the issues with staging renovation and with having to overhaul the team to develop the training ground facilities as well will, on, will only increase as well. And they'll only be losing ground as well on the likes of Newcastle who have their own takeover now. United aren't just competing with like Man City, you know, there are other teams now who all have money. You see other teams in the Premier League as well who don't necessarily have sort of limitless budgets, but they are just well-run clubs and they are all closing the ground on Manchester United. I know they've made strides this season and they are the best of the rest, but they need to really just improve in so many areas of, of the club already. And I just can't see that happening if the Glazers do stay in charge. So I think that you know they have to they have to pursue with this sale now. Their outcries and the protests will only get more ferocious. You'd, you'd presume if they were to sell, we've already seen Manchester United have a match postpone that Liverpool game because of protests against the Glazers, and you really wouldn't rule out further action of of that sort of degree if there was no more development or if they backtracked on the sale altogether. So. Although there's always going to be these concerns and cautiousness until the actual sale takes place, it would be just a whole new level of protest from United fans, I'm sure, if, if the sale didn't go through because they have made their feelings so, so clear. They've been making their feelings clear for 18 years now. They do it every single game. Whether United win, lose or draw, United fans will protest the ownership of the club. And I just cannot see any scenario in, in, in which that will ever change. You know, the Glazers will be protested against until they sell. And yeah, I think it just makes so much sense for them to actually cash in now while, while they can, make a huge profit on the leverage buyout they had and, and give United that, that fresh start. Because if they don't, then, like I said, it will just be mayhem with the United fan base. It is funny when some suggest that supporters have only been protesting when they've not been winning, but it's very much not the case. They've been doing it for 15, 18 years now. So it's been consistent. Ty Tenog has kind of insisted that this process hasn't impacted on the team or on him, but let's face it, it will, won't it? Because the summer transfer window is approaching. Um, so it needs to be wrapped up really sooner rather than later, doesn't it? Because the, the season's coming to end. It's March now, April's next week. And Tenog needs to know who's in charge because he needs to make his plans, doesn't he, for, for, for the summer and for the next stage of that rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it, it's probably one that's not had a huge impact so far but it is going to the longer it drags on and the closer it gets to the summer we're at the point now where where work is starting on on transfers and laying the groundwork for transfers and it's just you know whoever is in charge even if it's still the Glazers they are going to spend this summer they will spend big on a striker um but you know there, there might be a difference between 
what the Glazers want to spend and what Qatar want to spend. And I don't think it would be huge given financial fair play and, and United's um, kind of issues and balancing act around that. But there probably will be more money to spend, even if you know if it's still going on in June or July, even if a takeover is in process. It's it, it becomes an issue in terms of like who's making decisions, the chain of command, freeing up funds. It's you know there's potential for there to be issues, even kind of as minor as, as that if there is a takeover. But like you say, you need, you know, the manager wants clarity. He wants to give targets clarity. And, and that's, you know, that's what they need. They need to know this is happening. But there are there are various ways it could start to, to impact Ten Hag. He, he said a week ago today with his Fulham press conference that his focus, you know, other people were dealing with that. His focus was just on the games, which is fine at the moment. But as we get deep into April and May, that will begin to change. And certainly when it comes to June and the transfer windows open, if, if there's still... A lot of uncertainty floating around then it does become problematic and like i say if a takeover's in process who's signing the checks who's making the decisions who's got access to the accounts um you know what what's the chain of command for, for things going from from like from richard arnold to the glazers or from arnold to qatar um you know these are all sort of minor issues that, that are going to become a problem and contract renewals are, are the same you know i think there's two that are particularly pressing in, in david de Gea, who whose contract is up in three months and Rashford's who's is is the end is next June but I don't think you'd want to go into next season with with Rashford in the final year of his contract and risk risk losing him for free when he's you know pushing a hundred million pound asset now um I think they'd want to get that one done I think there was an expectation that at least one if not both would be done by now and and they're not um you know I've been told that contract talks are still ongoing despite the takeover issue but there is I think there's an acceptance now that the the process has changed and it's gone from you know in november and december uh, november and december and january this was a case that it, it was being dealt with by rain and the glazers basically and it had no material impact on united <clears throat> now we're seeing richard arnold have to meet um the qatar delegation meet jim ratcliffe um you know colette roach is there doing presentations it's having a, a bigger effect on people at the ground now at old trafford in terms of their workload and you know that's that's going to have a knock-on effect in terms of getting contracts done and, and things like that because there's only so many hours in a day and when more and more hours of, more and more of your hours are taken up in in dealing with a takeover and getting the books in order and the financials in order and the things that potential buyers want in order that's less time to work on things like transfers and, and contracts and the staffing side so you know i think it's only inevitable that the longer this goes on from here on in the more that the material impact on on ten Hag and the team will be Bruno Fernandes was given a, a contract extension with no permanent manager at the club, wasn't he? Ranjik was in charge. So I'd expect contract negotiations to continue despite the takeover yeah. talks. Uh, yeah, I definitely expect that. Rich, regarding the, the, the board then and the kind of higher figures at the club, obviously Richard Arnold has been CEO for quite a long time now, or a year and a bit. You've got John Murta there, his football director, who's done a, a pretty good job. How do you think they'll be affected? Do you think they could maybe stay in their positions immediately or do you think any new custodians would look to change that? Because, as I've said, by all accounts, they've done both of those they've done quite well haven't they over the last uh, year and a half two years yeah uh, again that'll just come down to the individual bids really and who who's potentially successful whether they want people they've worked with before or who they trust uh, in those positions there's always flutterings you always hear rumours of 
sporting directors from other leagues who might one day move to the Premier League or, or whatever. You always hear sort of rumours of, it used to be Monchi, didn't it? It's, was it at Sevilla? And you get Michael Edwards, you always get these Paul Mitchell's these the, the big name, isn't he now? Paul yeah, Mitchell from Monaco. Of course, yeah. yeah. So you always get these, these names who have excitement and they've bought exciting players in the past. But you know, the truth is that United have been in what they've set out to be, they have been successful under this new structure. I mean, last if you look at last summer, if United had been under new ownership last summer, who do they buy differently? They maybe spend even more and try to get De Jong, but they still buy Anthony. They probably buy Martinez, Casemiro ends up coming. I don't really see what they would have done too much differently, no matter if they had different people in charge or, or more money. They spent £225 million last summer, so it's not a case of United need to, to spend more or to be maybe even targeting different players because under Ten Hag, the, the hit rate's been pretty impressive. Okay, maybe with different ownership, they could have gone big in January and got a, a better striker in than, than Veghorst. But, you know, there's always going to be a limit on what United can actually do across the course of a season. So I think, to be fair to them, Arnold and, and Murtagh are doing the job that they were brought in to do. And United are seeing some success on the pitch. They're st- certainly making strides forward. And it was just important that those two came in as part of that restructure at the end of last season with, with Woodward going in particular. And it just did feel like okay, the ownership's not changed, but there did seem to be a new sort of ethos and approach from United all around. People who have designated roles and you know exactly what they're there to do. People who are in charge of transfers, people who do commercial stuff, people who do the marketing, people who are involved in recruitment and others who stay away from it, whereas before it was quite muddied. So I think going forward, whoever comes in would just need to have some honest and, and frank conversations I, obviously, it wouldn't be down to Ten Hag, but I think he'd have a say in how are you finding operating in this system? Is, is there things you'd like to change? And the indication is that you know whoever bought Manchester United up potentially would want to keep Ten Hag. They'd want to reward him potentially with a new contract as well and, and build upon this these solid foundations. So I think you'd have to ask Ten Hag what, how he's found working it, what he'd like to change as well, and just take all that feedback on. But I think... In terms of United going forward, there's still so much up in the air before we can get too down into details on that. But I do think that sometimes you have to take a step back and say, you know, they are doing quite a bit right at the moment. They are starting to rectify some of their old mistakes. And again, as I mentioned, even if they have this takeover, it's not going to be this magic one solution where everything changes overnight. Yes, there might be a fresh revitalization and spring and the step of people around Old Trafford, but... I don't think it'll be that sort of drastic overnight change that maybe some people are envisaging. It's definitely going to take time, 100%. Um, We'll leave that there for part one and we'll be back in a moment for part two. But for the beginning of part two, we've sent our producer Seb Parkinson down to the boxing gym to interview Lyndon Arthur ahead of his fight tonight in Bolton against Boris Croydon. Back in a moment. Arthur joins us on the Manchester is Red podcast, the Manchester United podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Delighted to be joined. Lyndon, first and foremost, your connection with Manchester United. I know you, you're friends with Brandon or you're related to Brandon. What, what is that connection with Brandon Williams? Yeah, just, just close, you know. Um, obviously, I, I see him as family. He, he, he's like a little, like your little brother, like a little kind of thing. 
you got to try and keep him from staying out of trouble and whatnot. Not that he does get in trouble, but you know, you know, you know how the, the, the little brother, big brother relationship goes. When Marcus has been through his sort of rough period last season after he'd had that back injury and he had the, yeah. the, the operation, how do you like you do a lot of physio and fitness? Did he come to you for any advice? No, no, no. These boys have got Man United behind them. They don't need um, me for advice. They've got the best of the best. That's why he was able to come back as good as, as, good as he has this, this season. When he tells that he's, he's, now, he's now a monster, probably one of the best in the world right now, finishing and, and, and playing football. So, you know, it just... Just what, what, I, what I will get from that is, is the desire and the resilience to, to come back through adversity kind of thing. A lot of people, a lot of fans would have been saying last year, let's get rid of Marcus, let's get rid of Marcus. Season later, you know, form is um, temporary, class is permanent, as the saying goes, and, and, and that's what he's shown there in, in abundance. So I take from that, um, I learn from that, and, and, and you just got to continue, be resilient, be, be, be consistent in training, in, in in, in in mentality as well. And you can show that you will get through anything. You've obviously grown up as a Man United fan. You know, we, we couldn't be in, more in the heart of Manchester. Here. You've seen the transition from the Alex Ferguson era to what we now is the Eric Ten Hag era. <laughs> <laughs> from from your connection with the United players and Brandon and everything, like what's the vibe been like around the club? I imagine it's been hard. We've gone from having being the best at the very top, constantly season after season to, to then Finishing sixth and seventh and eighth and stuff like that, and and, and when I scrape second league with Solskjaer coming in, it's it's obviously it's been obviously I can imagine it's been hard, but now Ten Hag's in, and he and he's taken over. He seems to be having a a, a structure in place, what everyone's listening to. He, he he definitely knows what he's doing, and everyone believes in him. I bless. I guess that's what it is having a having a manager or a team that you believe in. He believes in the team. The team believe in him. They're listening to him, as you can see on the pitch when it happens. So. I imagine that's as it was bad, it's now turning good and I feel like there's a lot of good days ahead for Manchester United. Yeah. Athlete to athlete, do you do you ever speak to these guys as a as a professional uh, on like a physical level rather than just how was the game? No, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? We 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 train every day. <clears throat> athlete to athlete, I know what it's like to train every day. And when you get away from your football or your boxing, the gym or, or the the football pitch, you probably don't want to speak about it. I understand that. You know, when, I, when I'm out, a lot of people come up, da -da -da -da, it's like, oh man, give me a I, I box every single day of my life, night and day. Let me enjoy myself when I'm out. So I understand that from, from, from that perspective, so I don't really try and bring it up too much. Yeah. What do you think of the, the club this season, like under Ten Hag? What, what, you know, from, from the dirge that we've seen under previous management? And... Well, we've won a title. People want to talk about the title. It's a little title, but it's a start of a title. We're in, the, we're in the knockout stages, is it? Or the quarterfinals of the, the Europa? Yeah. We're in the semi finals of the FA Cup. We're still in the league. We've got a cup. Probably going to finish in the top four. It's probably one of the best, well, it's the best season we're having over for the past few years. So I'm happy. I'm excited to watch United again. I don't, I don't like, it used to be a time a few years ago or a couple of years ago, even when the, I turned the team on and be watching just because I'm a fan rather than I know we're going to win this game. It used to be. I'm excited to watch United. It wasn't like that anymore, but now it is again. We got, got the excitement back to watch the team. As a fan, what do you think about what's going on in, in Old Trafford at the minute, like behind the scenes? Put it this way: I'll be happy when if these Saudis buy us. Yeah, I'll be happy when that happens. Um, since the last, obviously, since Ronaldo left, and he was talking about the, the, the kitchen still the same as when he was there, stuff like that. I believe if they come in, they'll have us in a in a, in a better stadium. I mean, you know, an upgrade, upgrade of the stadium, so to speak. 
you know, they'll, they'll upgrade everything, they'll get better um, training facilities in and stuff like that. You know, we'll be competing with the likes of City and, and, and all the other good football stadiums and facilities. I believe it'll be a lot better if, if that happens. Would you prefer the, I think it's Qataris that's sort of the most like potent one, or Jim Ratcliffe, would you prefer the Qataris over Jim Ratcliffe? Or would you be happy for anybody? Just, just, come, just come in and sort us out. <laughs> just come in and up, give us some, up, some sort of upgrade. Come in, upgrade us, get the players feeling fresh when they come in, you know. And, and, and I think that everyone will get a, they've got the team spirits there now, but, you know, collectively when you're coming in, when you're walking into it, obviously it's not like boxing. When you come in this gym, it's old-fashioned, it's, it's, it's a whole-fastened gym, it's got real history in it. You can see it's got real history in it, uh, just through how long it's been here. And you can just see it's just a, it's an old-school decor of, you know, it's painting on the wall, the, 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 there's, there's holes in shit. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a very classy gym, brand new gym kind of thing. That gives it its, its, its aura. Whereas in a football, I imagine it's a bit different, you walk them into to, to nice, shiny stuff. Everything, the best of it, best of everything kind of thing. Have you ever had any of the United players in here? Brandon, Marcus, they've ever been down? I've had Brandon in here. I've had Marcus and Brandon talking about talking about having a fight, <laughs> having, a, having, a, having a spa. <laughs> yeah. I think I was gonna train I was gonna train Brandon. Oh, I was gonna train Marcus actually. Yeah, just banner, obviously. Um yeah. but yo, Brandon can Brandon's got a good whack on him. I'll tell you that he's got a good right hand on him. But Marcus is long and I've seen him do the jabs when we're messing about and stuff, so you know it, it, it'd be funny to get them in here. Having a little spa. Anything about Wayne Rooney? What about you getting him in there? All right, well, Wayne can box, can I? Yeah. Uh, if Wayne wants to come in there, I give out. Like, yeah, <laughs> I show Wayne now. But Wayne, no, I, look, Wayne was probably the best player I've seen play for United. Best striker. Best, yeah, a big fan of Wayne, Wayne Rooney when he was there. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've not met Wayne ever, but I would, love, I would love to say hello to him if I ever seen him. As a United fan, looking at this current crop, what do you think that they can win? And what do you want to see us win under eight ten Hag? I think we can win the FA Cup. Obviously, I believe we're going to go to the FA Cup finals. It's a derby. It's always a hard game. We've beat them once this season already, I believe. And, and I think we can, you know, with the being of the scene of the game, the game being the FA Cup final at Wembley, we can, be, we can win that. Europa. We nearly won that under Solskjaer anyway. I believe we can win that. The league, I don't believe we'll get that. Obviously, you know, it's Arsenal and City. Um, but next year, most definitely, we, we are definitely going to be contenders of it. I, I, I believe so. I think under Ten Hag, we get a good we get a good striker to finish up top. I'm not, that's not taking off enough work loss, but um, I believe with the you know the an Osman or a or Harry Kane on the end of of, of Bruno's and and, and Marcus's crosses in the box, Sancho, Sancho's. It'll be a, uh, we'll get a lot more goals. Is that who you want to see come in, Osman or, or Harry Kane? Yeah, I, I, Osman more, but I won't, I, I won't mind the Kane. <laughs> won't mind him. Yeah, I won't mind him. <laughs> little hundred mil, I won't mind him. <laughs> so, lads, uh, Lyndon Arthur will be fighting tonight, and he's a big Manchester United fan. He's discussed all things United there. He's been asked about transfers, so we're going to discuss them a little bit uh, in this section. And of course, Harry Kane uh, became England's all-time record goalscorer on Thursday night. And uh, we did a panel, us three, earlier in the week where we gave our opinions on which striker would be the preferred target uh, this summer for United. And I think I was the only one who went for Harry Kane. So we'll uh, have that bit of a debate now, Ty. Uh, 
you went for Victor Oshiman, didn't you? And I know we've talked about it a bit already on the podcast. But what's your thinking behind that, really? Because my thought process, it kind of boils down to one point. I think Kane is a guarantee of goals, um, probably for three years in the Premier League. And I think that's worth quite a lot in that division. You know, he's a banker. He's going to turn up. He's dedicated. He's a fantastic professional. Um, and he's, he's always going to be there in the box and he's going to put in the back of the net. What more can you want? Yeah, I mean, when you, you know, it's hard to argue with any of that. And when you put it like that, it, you know, he is he, he is an obvious target. Um, he's going to cost a fortune. I think it'll cost the best part of a, a hundred million. But he is, you know, he, he is a brilliant, brilliant player. England's record goal scorer now. I would love to be able to watch him week in, week out. I think he's, you know, I think he's just fantastic. And the the career he's had and the trajectory and that that journey from from all those loan spells, I think, is an, an amazing story. And he would certainly be worthy of leading the line for Manchester United. But my one concern with it, it is this, you know, this idea of, of long-term planning. And I've mentioned it before and, you know, he's, he's 30 in July and you've got the, the spine of that United team. Come come this summer, you'd have De Gea who's 32, Varane would be 30, um, Casemiro 31, Eriksen 31, Fernandez is 29 in September. You throw in Kane who's 30. You're spying a team who are all 29 or over, and really, you'd, you'd sign Kane for 100 million, having signed Casemiro for 70 million last summer. But in the next four windows at most, you'd probably need another world class goalkeeper, world class centre half, maybe two world class midfielders, and another world class striker to replace Kane at, at the end of it all. And it, it's not an endless supply of, of money as, as much as fans want it to be. That's you know that's just not the case, and more to the point, it's not an endless supply of players either. Um, so I, you know, I think the needs to be. You're having your Alan Hansen moment instead of <laughs> yeah. you can't win anything with kids. You can't win anything, you can't with, win anything with all these. Yeah, you're trying yeah, to say, yeah. yeah, that's what you're trying to say. I mean, I think you know, I think they clearly could, but if they sign Kane, that for me is a two-year team, maximum, maximum three-year team. If you sign Kane for a hundred million pound. For me, United would have to win the Premier League or the Champions League in the next two years to make it a success. Otherwise, no matter how many goals he scores, it will have failed because they'll have spent mm. 100 million on Kane, say 70 million on Casemiro, 42 million on Varane. Um, you know, these are these are players they were signing at, at the very peak of their careers. You can't spend that amount of money and, and not win anything, even if you finish second in the league twice. It needs to produce the biggest trophies within the next two years. And maybe it will do. And if it does, Kane's a fantastic signing. Don't get me wrong. I just think that Osserman's, you know, six years younger than him. It, it might take him a year to settle into the Premier League, but he looks to have all the attributes to be a Premier League striker. And you sign him and you would you would expect to get eight years out of him leading the line for United. You can mm. focus on signing a young midfielder which I think is is really pressing I think midfield is it is a bit of an issue coming down the tracks given Casemiro and Eriksson's ages and the fact that you know that the backup in Fred is 30 is one reason why I wouldn't be going for, for Sabitzer at, at 29 because I think if your five first choice midfielders are all older than 29 then you know just have a look at Liverpool and what's happened to Liverpool for an example of how how quickly things can change in that regard so I think they need to be looking to sign a younger midfielder, a Bellingham or a De Jong or a Caicedo or, or someone like that. But yeah, that's that's the only reason that tips me towards Osman. Like I say, when it comes down to the players, you know, maybe I, maybe I would lead to Kane if they were the same age. Maybe I'd lead to Kane just for his Premier League record and the fact he is a guarantee of goals in this league. But 
the the needs to be um, not necessarily as fans, but I think as as the people making the decision in the club, there's always got to be a succession plan. And I think if you sign Kane, you're you're already onto the succession plan for Kane, especially when he's had the the ankle issues he's had. So it, it's purely for kind of long term planning purposes that I would I would go with Osserman. But um, I I would certainly understand it if they went with Kane. I remember watching Kane in the Europa League when he was first emerging and he got put in goal one game. Yeah, yeah. And then it was a bit of a joke like, on Twitter. He's got two it, goals or something like that. <laughs> that was it in that game as well. But he blew up, yeah. didn't he? He just absolutely blew up. And he's, it was on the like, IC4 or something. I vividly remember yeah, it watching was. it. I can't remember the game. But I think I'm the same as, as Tyler. I do get that there's a train of thought Kane could be like the Van Persie signing, who's the missing piece of the jigsaw and United instantly become much better. And he is the only striker maybe that can come in and rival... Harland, you know, in the league, and just if he gets a service at United, he's the main man. He links links up amazingly, and probably, you know, other than Harland, those two are the best two strikers in the world right now. I really do think that, but it's for it's going to be a club record fee. It'll be prolonged, protracted negotiations. Ten Hag wants his new signings in as early as possible. He wants them on the tour. He wants them bedded in. We saw this season, Casemiro had to be signed almost as an emergency after those first two defeats. And United had already lost six points then. If you go and get a title race with City next season, maybe even Arsenal, you can't afford to be dropping points early on. You need to have your players in, in place straight away. And I think, obviously, Aussie men will be difficult to sign, but it could almost be a like job done for him at Napoli. If he gives them the league title and they get to the Champions League semi-final or final, then there's more... No, it'd probably be easy to sign. He's already saying he wants to play in the Premier League. He will have done his job there for them. I think they'll be quite amicable. They'll command a big fee, but he will have given them what they wanted so much already. Whereas Kane, it's just having to deal with Daniel Levy is going to be real problematic for United. And they just, they're so reluctant to sell the best players, particularly to Premier League rivals. And even though he's got a year left on his contract, I don't think it's as easy as United saying... Here's a lot. Here's a load of money. Let us have him because I just don't think Tottenham will give up that easily. And it's been their own failure themselves that they they struggle to replace players. And I can see them holding on to him for as long as they can before they finally have to cash in. So I think Kane would make sense as a short term hit if if the fee was lower. But as Ty said, you've got to plan for the years ahead. And Ozyman looks like the next player who, if he doesn't join United, he will be the one who gets away. And he'll be similar to Haaland. He'll be similar to. I mean, Sesco's another option we've seen, but it's, there was that narrative around him when, when that that fee was agreed. And again, if Bellingham went somewhere else this, this summer, it would be another one of those those ones who's got away that United had the chance to sign and never did. I think if Kane doesn't move this summer, he'll stay at Tottenham for the rest of his career. Because um, obviously he could leave on a free transfer, couldn't he? But I think he'll, because of his relationship with the club, he'd probably just sign a new deal. He does kind of remind us of Shearer, actually. Alan Shearer, mm. and his style now is his, his years are progressing because mm. his legs have gone a bit. Um, he's not as fast you as he used Newcastle? to be. Did um, I was going to say something quite rude there, but I, I'll pass on that comment because <laughs> it's a PG podcast. I was going to say, there's a bear in the woods, but I'll, I'll leave that out. Because um, Shira started to lose his legs, didn't he, at the end with his injuries and stuff, and his game had to evolve. But he was still scoring plenty of goals and abundance of goals. I, yeah. I see that in Kane. It's all that really. link up play, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, isn't just the best striker, probably, he's, the best but he's sometimes 10. the best playmaker. Yeah, yeah. if you put him alongside Anthony himself. and Rashford, he'd be, he'd be deadly, wouldn't he? What kind of fee then do you think? Uh, Napoli would accept for Oshman and lads because you've discussed Kane maybe in the region of 100 million Daniel Levy he's, he's going to be difficult to negotiate with but as you've just said Rich Napoli aren't going to be much easier are they? they're not going to want to let him no, go no no but I mean how much they always I mean De Laurentiis always comes out and says that they've got loads of money I remember 
every transfer window, United used to be linked with Koulibaly, didn't yeah. they? And they were always saying he's got cost like 100 million or, or whatever. And did he go to Chelsea for just under 50 million in the end, I think, Koulibaly? Past his best mind, I'd argue, at that point, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, was I think they, they got the best years out of them. But yeah. with add-ons that could take it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. They won't be getting hit. It wasn't 33 million, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so... I mean, if they win the Champions League, if they win the win Serie A, they'll have even more funds and they'll be keen to keep the nucleus of that side. So they're both going to be, you'd say, sort of club record mm. signings, both of them. If you yeah. to get they've, them they've got a chance wide. in the Champions League this season. Well, how well they've played and they're on that side yeah, of the bracket. Yeah, good for them, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and then potentially only one match beat, beat an elite team over one match is very doable. Mm. And, you know, it, it's a real difficult one because... It's hard to say. There's so much permutation between now and then. But you'd say that if United want to sign an elite striker this summer, they're going to have to spend a world record fee, a club record fee, and probably a Premier League record fee on the player as well. So that's, again, why you probably get more bang for your buck with Osman because you've got the longevity. He's got... As soon as you buy Kane, it's like buying a new car. His value will only decrease because you're never going to sell him for that fee again. Obviously, he can give you that, that short-term hit and he can potentially be the missing piece of the jigsaw, but he has to be... I mean, if you're spending that much money on Kane, he has to win you the champ. He's a Rolls Royce. Say- He's a Rolls Royce. Is there any Renault Clios out there? We're we looking at any other players that we can throw into the hat because I know we keep talking about Osterman and Kane. Um, are there any other strikers that kind of pop into your head? Rich, you talk about Sesco, but the, the problem is that deal's done now, isn't it? To Leipzig, that boat's, that boat's yeah, gone. Yeah, there's, there's a theory that United could usurp it and just agree to pay more and sort of hijack it. Yeah, I've saw that. I mean... I'm not sure about that. You see the usual names. Vlahovic, who, I mean, I, I don't see... I mean, I don't watch Serie A football, not because I do. I'm wearing a Palmer jumper. What a mean, disgrace. But doesn't mean, like... I don't watch him enough to know how good he actually is and how good he, much success he's been at Juve. The fact that he's potentially up for sale indicates that maybe he's not delivered as much as they wanted him to. Uh, you look at... I mean, last summer... Ten Hag tried to buy Arnautovic. Yeah. I mean, the, you can't rule anyone out under Ten Hag's transfer philosophy. You might as well just go to the Eredivisie and look at the top goal scorers list and, and have a punt on any of them. Rich was trying Grand to say that she'd sign Alexander Mitrovic earlier in the week, Ty. I strongly disagree. <laughs> the, um, I don't remember saying I that. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's very few. Like, I mean, Ten Hag likes Gonzalo Ramos, but he's only had one season with Benfica. He's back on the bench for Portugal last night. Bit of um, a flash in the pan, isn't he? Yeah. Maybe a flash in the pan, yeah, lots of proof. There's the the guy who missed that chance for France in the last minute of the World Cup final, Randall Colo Moane, I think, who's doing pretty well for Eintracht Frankfurt. An option, but again, he's he's much more unproven than Osman or Kane. I mean, in terms of Premier League strikers, the one for me, which won't happen for fairly obvious reasons, but if you were looking for someone else other than Kane, it'd be Ivan Tony. Um who I just yeah. think looks he looks Elite. Would you bet on it, Ty? <laughs> bet your house on him. Bet your house on him, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for, obvious, yours, for obvious reasons at the moment, that ain't going to happen. But I do think he could probably play for for a, a top six club because he looks... I suppo- looks but I suppose good. that there's the argument, isn't there, that when you say who should United buy, it's they should buy whoever Brighton want to buy next to the striker. <laughs> or I, know got, I know they've got Ferguson now, it looks really good, but United have to be sort of reactive they have to buy players who've done something somewhere elsewhere but teams maybe like Brighton could be a bit more proactive mm. and take those gambles on the lesser known players and I suppose there's an element out there that United's next elite striker might be someone we don't even know about right now because they're just going to be under the radar doing the good stuff 
Um, I think I think there's, there's a wider problem of a for Denmark last night who played for Atalanta, Rasmus oh, yeah, Fulgund yeah, or whatever. Yeah. You can imagine he'll be one of the next ones to watch. He's only 20 years old, but I suppose in an ideal world, it, I can't see it happening because of the money. But United would buy someone who can help them right now, and they'd also get someone who is maybe a bit more of a project who they can train to be that elite option in the years ahead. I think there's a wider problem of there's actually a lack of goal scorers out in the market. Yeah, there is. You, you look at all the Premier League clubs. I mean, the, the majority of Premier League clubs actually want a striker this summer. I mean, Chelsea are going to be in the market for a striker and they've got money for fun. I was talking to a Wolves fan down on the train to Cheltenham uh, last week and he, they're desperate for a striker and they're not exactly short of money either. I think and Newcastle maybe could well. be. Exactly. The league, so there's not a lot of. And there's a lack of those kind of players, isn't there? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of your goal yeah. scorers these days are, are like your sellers, basically. Um, you know, wide players, Rashford. And that's a good for example. That's a good point time makes though, that United also need more goals from the other wide men. Because Anthony, Sancho, mm. they just haven't given enough to United this season. There's different reasons for for that, but United need more goals from everyone. They don't just need more from a striker. That will obviously be the main way to supplement it, but they just need more goals. Yeah, if you break it down, the percentage at Rashford's shoulder is, uh, is, is the bulk of it, really, isn't it? And, and there's the Disney support from, from Steve. There's so much money in the Premier League that the top clubs can afford almost like, like yeah, Rich's idea of buying an Osman or a Kane and then, and then buying the next one at the same time um, makes a lot of sense. But clubs so rarely do it, and the big clubs just don't need to take those risks. You mm. know, Brighton signed Caicedo and, and McAllister. And it, it's to a degree, it's a risk because then they're completely, un- they were unproven in European football, never mind the Premier League. United don't really need to take those risks. They can let them go to mm. Brighton and then just pay 70 million to sign them. You know, for... And I suppose they did with Palestrian Ahmad. Yeah, 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 maybe they do. Yeah, maybe they do at times. But I think other clubs, other clubs like Brighton and the clubs we talk about being clever do it more often. And I think Van, you know, Van Dijk's the classic one that when he was at Celtic, everyone could see how good he was. No one, within a couple of years, Man City and Liverpool were bidding 70 million for him. But no one signed him, apart from Southampton, when he was available for, what, 10 million pound? Because they, you know, they could afford to take the risk and play him every week. Whereas the big six clubs thought, wow, he's doing well for Celtic, isn't he? It's a big jump. We'll let him go to Southampton and then see. And then think nothing of paying 75 million for him. You know, the, the big clubs have got so much money that they can afford to let the rest of the Premier League try him out first. And if it's success, say, all right, we'll have him. We'll have him now, which is... Can afford to be lazy. They can afford to be lazy. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Laziness pays. Uh, We'll end that section then, because I do have the privilege of of grilling Rich and Ty, like I said. I won't be grilling, but we'll be entertaining for a a question and answer session in part three. So we'll be back in a moment for that. So we're back for part three and as promised we'll have the Q&A session along and I'll just read out the questions and I presume Tyrone and Rich have now got them up on their screen just in case they get caught off guard. But feel free gents, open the floor, answer whoever wants to take it and we'll begin with a question from Millie who asks, since the World Cup United have been in great results form but overall I feel their performances have slowly regressed, a fair comment. Do you think this international break has come at the right time for United and what will Ten Hag's focus be on during the break? Who's answering that one? Uh, I, I, I can go for one. <laughs> I, I, I do think performances have um, maybe regressed a little bit towards the end of that break. I think it's as much to do with fatigue as, as anything else though. Yeah. Um, you know, United United played 12 successive midweeks between the World Cup and 
in this international break. They're going to play at least the next four midweeks. I think if they get to both finals, they'll play every single midweek apart from this international break between December and the first week of June, which is just incredible. You know, it could be a 65-game season, so I don't think it's any surprise, especially when you see that Ten Hag doesn't really rotate that much. You know, he's playing his best players, Fernandes and Vuvegorst, every week. So, um, you know, you, the, the tiredness is going to have an impact, and I think we're going to see it have more of an impact. We're at the stage of the season now where teams just grind out wins and performances might look um, less attractive, and it wouldn't surprise me if that if that happens with United. The key, of course, is to to keep finding a way to win. They yeah, looked tired against Fulham, didn't they? They did. Yeah. 100%, yeah, it's just consequentialism yeah. of United just need to get over the line. However, don't they? I mean, like like Ty said, since the last international break, they played twenty five times, which is just absolutely obscene. And again, you know, at least another fifteen matches this season could be another nineteen. Everyone is just knackered and there's always going to be a tail off in quality when you're playing that much and you know that's just going to be you know, the quality is going to suffer when the quantity is that high so it's just a natural sort of regression but I think you can flip it and be maybe a bit of a happy clapper and say well at least they've come through it relatively unscathed I know there's that massive blip at Anfield but in general they did sort of cope with it well I think the only complaint on my part is that there isn't enough rotation like Ty said there it's just you understand why managers have their favourites and stick to a core of players, but they are in danger of burnout. And my only worry is that United could come back from the international break. We've seen Fernandez play for Portugal. I know Shaw got sent off for England. Rashford has missed out. But there's got to be this core of players who haven't even had a break over the international break. So they're just going to be even more fatigued. And as long as United can still win these trophies and can still finish third and have still, still have to play to guarantee Champions League football... I just can't see them rotating either. There's no coincidence Ten Hag has uh, a meal with Ferguson and Rashford pulls out of the England squad and is seen jetting around New York, I don't think. <laughs> and there is some correlation there. We'll move on to a question from Leanne who um, asks, who is the best Manchester United footballer you've seen play in the flesh who didn't fulfil their potential? Um, it's a bit harsh to fulfil their potential, so we'll see academy player, should we? And Rich, you took a lot of trips to Lee um, in your oh, time. Has <laughs> anyone really stood out in your mind where you thought, wow, that was you know a really, really talented youngster? I mean, it's... Uh, it's difficult to say since cause since I've been covering United for the MEN, it's been nearly six years, five and a half years now. So I'm not going to say anyone's not fulfilled their potential because they've still got so much of their career ahead of them. I mean, yeah, that was my point. Yeah. The, the youngsters I've watched, the oldest of them will probably be 23, 24 now. Mm. So they've still got loads of time to, to prove us wrong. <clears throat> I suppose the obvious ones, it's always a bit disappointing that Angel Gomez never got more of a chance yeah. for United. There was a combination of reasons. He's hugely, hugely talented. Everyone knows he's an. He's got everything really, and we saw it when he went to Boa Vista on low and he scored a goal from the halfway line. He looked to be catching the eye quite a lot. I'm not sure how he's doing at Lille anymore. I know he started quite well, but I think he's not been sort of pulling up too many trees there. So I think maybe just a bit disappointed that Angel Gomez didn't fulfill his United potential is, is probably a fair way of saying it because he did look like he had absolutely everything. and. Obviously, the older generation will say Ravel Morrison because everyone who played with him says he is like he was technically incredible. He had everything you could ever ask for, but didn't have the maybe attitude, application, or the opportunities to actually go on and fulfil that. So there's always so many cogs in all of this. There's never one reason why someone doesn't go on to have the career hope. But I suppose that Angel Gomez was a real disappointment that he didn't get more opportunity at United, and the fact that he he actually left. We've got one 
from producer Seb uh, next. We're basically just asking, what is the, the scenario when there's a breaking news story on desk? What happens? Is it as simple as, Ty, you could be at the shopping with your wife and you have to drop the bags and, and run back to the house? Or there is four of us that cover United, isn't it? So it's a bit more, a bit more simpler than that. It is sometimes a lot, a bit more simpler than that. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, there's, there's enough of us. When it's, a, when it's a major, major story, if you're not working, you, you feel a bit obliged to jump on. But if it's kind of in that grey zone where you're not sure, then you know, and I'm not working. What I tend to do is just pretend I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, when you know, when you're working and, and things happen, it, it, it can be chaotic. I don't think I've ever had to drop my shopping. I tend to get the shopping delivered. Avoid avoid such um, such scenarios. Oh, Talking like about that. laziness, Ty. Oh, Talking about really? laziness. laziness pays, lads. I'm telling you. Yeah. That's the that's the biggest controversial point of the talk, <laughs> with the podcast, isn't it? That is. Wow, I didn't have you done that. <laughs> Rich is. Rich you'll, is you'll get this, lads. Guess, I thought you were working class. I've got theory. a three-year-old, lads. I do not want to be tracking a three-year-old. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. This yeah, will this true. will come to you. There's enough enough battles to be won at home. Um, Just throwing all the biscuits in the trolley. Yeah. Um, you know. And some sto- some stories, you get breaking stories where you've got no idea that they're coming and others where you've got an idea that they're coming. And, you know, the, the obvious example from recent years that I can think of is, is Solskjaer's sacking, which happened, um, or, or Samuel got wind of actually on the way back from Watford. And we were coming back from that Watford game when they'd lost. And I think we all knew he was going to be sacked. So it, you know, it wasn't, mm. it, I mean, it was a breaking news story, but it was one you were aware was going to happen. And think Samuel was driving back with with one of our colleagues from another publication and, and I was on the train back and that you know that's pretty chaotic in terms of who's doing what and what stage things are at and especially for Samuel who was yeah. in the car at the time um you know when that went on all weekend I mean, we had that um before the World Cup when I went down to Fulham away with Chris Wheeler and we were driving back from Craven Cottage after United just won and we get about 40 minutes out of London and then the Ronaldo, Ronaldo interview thing. drops yeah. Piers Morgan and we have to go to Burger King for an hour and a half, two hours to file some copy. But more and importantly, Rich, the, the pick and mix story is the big takeaway from that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what that's why I was actually happy to see United knock full out of the FA Cup. Um, sweet, sweet revenge in many ways. Um, a sour Excellent. taste in their mouth. But I think as well, as Ty said there, like when Mourinho got sacked, that was the first day of my week's holiday. So I had to like log on and do a podcast. And yeah, Solskjaer as well. I was out on a, on a like a family day out in a nice country park, and then I got the notification saying Solskjaer's been sacked. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm got to go home and do a podcast in a minute." So it's <laughs> it's more just the case of that you know sometimes you have got to drop things. But we're fortunate that we've got a good team where, like you said, someone we always have with our roto anyway. Someone sort of designated to do United that day in. So there's never it's never too desperate, but sometimes you've just got to adjust your shift. And I think for any budding football report or whatever that is just almost the key takeaway that you've got to be prepared to work yeah. anti-social hours yeah. it's just part of the job and I think we're all used to that now that for maybe from the outside it can be a bit of a shock that sometimes you just cancel your plans last minute and have to adapt to the scenario but you know that's one of the only negatives really of of doing such a dream job it is important obviously I'll add to, to switch off as well when we do get holiday breaks and obviously there is a temptation isn't it to always be by your phone but I remember last summer I, I deleted Twitter for two weeks did not did not in, uh, install it again and it, it was life life changing all the transfer uh, news I was kind of missing out on my friends were saying have you, have you heard about this have you, have you read about this and I was like well I've, I've uninstalled it and it was uh, it's pretty cleansing actually I'd recommend it Rich if you if you can do it this summer Twitter was a better place without yeah, you as I'm well mate. Ju- that's what I was about to say yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> 
Great two weeks. Great two weeks. Don't have to read your tweets for two weeks. Yeah. Well, we've got again. I know you hate to talk about Wrexham, but I've booked two weeks off to go to Japan in May. And I, my plan is hopefully Wrexham have won the league by then. I don't have to worry about checking scores and stuff, and I can just purge my social media and just have a two-week cleanse, like, like Ty said. So we'll we see. Swap, we'll we see. swap shifts to Rich so you can watch Wrexham on the final day. So hopefully they get the job done and get promoted. Of course, we've got a, another question from Muhammad who says we've seen many, many Manchester United players go into management, um, but from the current crop, who do you think would make the best manager? I had to think about this. I'm going to say Christian Eriksen because I always think that the most sort of intelligent, effortless, often quite quiet players, you know, his brain, the way his brain works, he just, he's always thinking two, three, four steps ahead. He's just always switched on. He's so creative. He really understands football. He has such, you know, a knowledge of the game. He's played in various leagues as well. He played in Holland. He's played in Italy. He's played in, Premier League, he's played internationally. I think he's the way his mind works. I think he'd be really, really good. And the you know midfielders just seem to make the best managers. So it's a very yeah, fair shout. Mm-hmm. I feel. Ty, like what would you the, say? You I feel like the obvious answer is is Casemiro, um, just for his you know his his passion for the game and it, the way he reads the game. But it, you know it it is true that it, it's it's becoming harder to actually predict who will be a manager. Because you also need you need now to have a passion to do it because players are making so much money mm-hmm. that they, they don't need to do it. And, you know, a generation ago, 20, 30 years ago, players would retire and would need to do some work to, you know, they, they wouldn't have enough money to basically do nothing for the rest of their lives. Whereas now, you know, that's, that's part of the reason so many went into management and coaching because they had to and it was all they knew. You don't really have that now, so you need to have a passion to do it. And, you know, you look at England's, England's golden generation for example and I think we'd have all said Neville and Carragher are managers in waiting and haven't been really Neville you know that, that very brief stint at uh, Valencia whereas you'd say Rooney, Lampard and Gerrard probably not but they've all gone into to be managers so I guess it depends who has got the, the fire to do it and so you're saying Eric Bailly? Eric Bailly, I think. Future <laughs> Manchester United manager. Could you imagine, imagine Martinez as a manager? Popping off in the change room wouldn't he be going crazy? <laughs> I was going to say for Ram for the similar trainer for as you, Ty. Mm. Um, but then when I kind of look at it on the other side, he's got a young family. He retired from international football to spend more time with them. And I just kind of think footballs give him everything. What more does he have to yeah, prove? Yeah. He's probably just going to go and enjoy his life and well-deserved as well. That's, that's, that's why you might see more managers in like the mould of um, like Mourinho or, or Wenger or that um, Englishman who's uh, League One in League oh, One Will, Will Still yeah, yeah. Um, gets I, I somehow couldn't produce week. his name but yeah he's yeah. always on Twitter every day yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know people like that who've got no playing career but are going into it A because they need the job and B Just because they've got a passion yeah. for it that's it yeah yeah so you never you never know you might see more managers who've actually got no no playing pedigree to, to speak mm. of at all because the actual players just don't need don't need the hassle like you say Stephen they've, they've earned enough and yeah. want to go on holiday and live a live a nice life rather than have that stress I'd do exactly the same yeah, <laughs> last question then from Mark what does your gut tell you about what United will achieve with Ten Hag in charge and obviously I'll let you both have a pop of that because it's been a, a very impressive first season hasn't it yeah yeah I'll let Ty start. Um, <laughs> I mean, this this season, I think I think they will win another trophy. I think they'll win one of those cups. Um, I could realistically see them winning both. 
long term it's you know it's very hard to call you you do feel like they certainly can win the league under him um it's just it's such a, it's such a competitive league to win now city under guardiola aren't going to go away you know you still wouldn't want to count liverpool out entirely um chelsea have got to get it right spending that sort of money at some point Newcastle maybe at some point will 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 be a realistic. But contender. you'd also look at. I know it's cliche, and we say it most weeks, but that Arsenal blueprint Arsenal, does yeah. feel like one that United could emulate themselves, yeah. where they don't even necessarily have to have the best eleven individual players, the best sort of squad man for man. But if they've just got everyone in the right direction, fighting to to unify for United and to to, to win that league, and everything clicks, maybe one of the other teams has a bit of an off season next year United do get the goal scorer they say stay injury free relatively then you know they could win the league quite possibly in the next two seasons I don't think that is out of the question but there is just so mitig- so much mitigation but I certainly think that he'll have a- another few seasons in charge at United and that he will win more trophies yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there Richie and it's kind of you know depends on what goes on around you I mean you look at Arsenal now and they're obviously doing fantastic but it has coincided with, with City's fall off or, or dip this season, you're obviously on the way back in the last few months, and Guardiola's mm. system looks to be working now. But at the start of the season, they weren't at their best, and they're bound to improve surely again next season. Guardiola will get it right; they've got the money to, and you can only see them kind of return to their very best, can't you, next season? So it's going to be even tougher um, for United in the, in the Premier yeah, League. You, and, that, and that's what United have done this season as well. That they have made the most of everyone else in the chasing pack being off it a bit. United are the best of the rest because they've been so much more consistent than Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool and even Newcastle. So there's still maybe the element of a reality check that United, you could replay this season and United could have finished, could finish fifth or, or fourth, you know, because if one of the other teams had played better, but they, they can only do what what they can really and United have found that consistency and the ability to win ugly so I think they've, they've got real solid foundations now but just because you finished third it doesn't mean next season is guaranteed to be second mm. or first I think there is still a, a massive task in even retaining a, a top four finish I mean there's opt- optimism and, and hope for supporters and I guess that's all the one uh, last season was so miserable wasn't it yeah, and it's been yeah. very very refreshing this season for everyone connected with the club we'll end it there then uh, it's coming up two o'clock on the Friday afternoon so the shift's taken over Tyrone thank you very much for your time thank you Stephen and thank you Rich thank you very much you still got any plans this weekend Any anything crazy planned yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to see Hey Dougie Hey Dougie live on Sunday. So. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend I know who that is. Take, I'm not even going to take the flares oh. and a few cans. <laughs> parents, hey, with the, parents will get it. I was going to say with the parents or something. Yeah, or yeah. With the parents, start. You're not bringing them along. Get the badge. <laughs> Wrexham playing uh, tomorrow, Rich. I presume. Yeah, York City at home. What could possibly go wrong? All the eyes of the world on Ben Foster's debut. Uh, yeah. Who Got the instrument. Ben Foster masterclass incoming. Exactly. <laughs> incoming, of course. Right. Uh, thank you very much to listeners as usual. Check out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend and take care.